Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Hello, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for tuning in. Very important podcast today as we're going to dive into the contents. And uh, it's a brand new book called Counterfeit Kingdom by Holly Pivik and Doug Guyvet. We can't wait to dive into this. Mary Danielson is here. Good morning, Mary. Good morning. So uh, let me just introduce our guests and get right into this very important topic as we talk about worship music, we talk about church ministry, we talk about the NAR, and if you're not familiar with that, just hold on. Holly and Doug, it's so great to have both of them here. They just released a brand new book. It's called Counterfeit Kingdom, The Dangers of New Revelation, New Prophets, and New Age Practices on the church. So what used to be on the fringes of the church is now mainstream, and many people are being influenced by it, and many unaware. So this book is a wake-up call. Holly, she's been on with us several times in the past. She's an evangelical researcher of cults and new religious groups, such as the New Apostolic Reformation Movement. She's got a master's degree in Christian apologetics from Biola University in Southern California, and she now lives in Fairbanks, Alaska. Doug is husband, father of uh, to two grown children. He's a professor at Biola. He's got a Ph.D. in philosophy from USC, and he teaches out there at the Talbot School of Theology. And he's written or edited several books on these issues, and they co-authored a previous book on the NAR. Uh, Doug and Holly, both of you, welcome to Stand Up for the Truth. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. It's good to be with both of you, David and Mary. Thank you. Yes, you're very welcome. We can't wait. Uh, we're here now. We've been talking about this interview for weeks. Thank you both. It's a good connection, one from California, one from Alaska, and we're connected here in Deep Pier, right next to Green Bay, Wisconsin. So I'm going to turn it over to Mary, and I'm going to put you on the spot, Mary, and let you ask the first question. Wow. You know, as I read this book, and just having had that um, history with the Kansas City and thinking, I wish someone would have kicked this to the curb a long time ago. We may not be in the mess that we're in, mm. um, you know, which is true. You know, the, the, every false movement in Christendom in the last days, you know, the enemy is not going to let a perfectly good deception go to waste. And so, um, things just uh, are sort of repackaged to appeal to a subsequent generation. Um, I guess, I, you know, I really don't know where to start. Um, <laughs> there's so much in the book about, uh, um, you know, signs and wonders and occultism and revival. Um, things like that. I, I guess my concern is for people is that it's going to become so mainstream they're not even going to realize what this is actually going on. Um, I, I guess I really don't know where to start. Well, with. how about let's since we have a lot of newer listeners since Holly was on with us last, um, Doug, let's start with you and just get back to the basics of what is the NAR, the New Apostolic Reformation. Well, uh, that movement. Uh, well, <laughs> I say that movement. It is a movement of. Uh, churches and church leaders, uh, <clears throat> which teaches that there are apostles and prophets today who uh, exercise an office or occupy an office of authority in the church, to govern the church with authority, and to <clears throat> activate people in the miraculous so that they can prepare an end times army that would help to bring the kingdom of God from heaven to earth. Mm. So let's talk briefly about New Revelation and why that's problematic. Um, Holly, we have the Scriptures. We have God's Word. It's perfect. It's inerrant from Genesis to Revelation. There is no new revelation that God is speaking. Otherwise, we maybe would have another Bible. Just clarify with us why that's an important point to get here. Right. So it, with, within the NAR, these apostles and prophets are... Um, they are claiming to bring critical new revelation to the church. They might often describe it as strategies that the church requires for bringing God's kingdom to earth. And um, this revelation, um, they'll say that it doesn't compete with the authority of Scripture because they're not, you know, they're not adding the words into the actual uh, physical Bible. 
but but because they teach that that their revelations are critical that it's important that all Christians even globally in some cases receive their revelations um then in effect the words are being treated on a par with scripture and as if they have that type of authority and um we 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 really it's important to make a distinction uh that um you know these are not teachings that are promoted in uh, classical Pentecostal or historic uh, charismatic churches. Um, uh, those churches will emphasize the miraculous gifts like speaking in tongues, mm-hmm. um, prophesying, e- healing, that that kind of thing. But but historically, Pentecostals and Charismatics have not taught that apostles and prophets are supposed to govern the church or hold these authoritative offices. That's something that sets NAR, the NAR, apart from... Um, Pentecostal charismatic teaching, okay. and so, and, and that's one reason even many Pentecostals and charismatics are are concerned about this movement. So the revelation that they bring is seen also to be as authoritative. Wow, fascinating! Oh, we are going to get to, by the way, uh, in the news release uh, for the book Counterfeit Kingdom. It starts off by saying a dangerous set of teachings is shaping America's worship songs ministries and political engagement that is huge in that sometimes these things are undetectable because it seems benign you're just singing worship songs but there's a method behind that some of the words some of the lyrics in these worship songs and bethel of course is a key example but i'm going to turn it over to mary and have her ask the next question and uh, doug you can answer I, I loved your uh, uh, chapter here on music and the the connection here. Uh, and Bill Johnson, who is the apostle at uh, Bethel, um, in here it says uh, he believes that the, this capacity of music, when used in worship songs, should be exploited, saying music bypasses all of the intellectual barriers, and when the anointing of God is on a song, people will begin to believe things they wouldn't believe through teaching. And you say here his words give insight into how he views Bethel music as a mechanism for getting people to accept teachings they would not normally be inclined to accept. And could you tell us, wow. what are the dangers of, you know, your emotions just running amok, and, you know, you're, you check your brain at the door, and now you're starting to put faith in how you feel. Uh, um, can you just kind of give us a little more insight into how that works? Well, you know how it is. Uh, music can touch both the mind and the heart. Uh, it can touch the, the mind through the lyrics so that you can have content that you sing, and if that content can express what you believe. Uh, but the music itself, the rhythm, the, the fact that you're participating in community when you sing, if it's corporate worship, if, if it's worship together on a Sunday morning, for example, or at your, you're at a concert, <clears throat> it also involves your, your, your emotions and even your will, right? And it makes you more prepared uh, to receive a message or um, to interact in a positive way with the people around you. And those are good things. These are not, we're not saying this is not a good thing. What we're saying is that because music is so powerful, you've got to be uh, aware of what it is you're saying and ask yourself whether or not you believe the things that you're saying when you sing. Uh, that would be a good practice regardless of the lyrics, regardless of the song or the context in which you're singing it, whether you're listening to music off, off the radio or on, a, uh, you know, on your computer, uh, your, your iPhone, what have you, or if you're in a service, what is it that I am saying when I sing these words, mm-hmm. when I say these words? That's what you have to ask yourself. And, uh, and, and the, the beat and the rhythm and the, the music and the quality of the music and all that can kind of carry you along with sympathy for the lyrics, even if you don't yet believe them. And I think this is something Bill Johnson understands about mm-hmm. music. It mm-hmm. bypasses intellectual barriers. So let me give you a, a contrasting example. I've sometimes done uh, debates at universities with atheists and agnostics uh, who teach philosophy like I do. And uh, we know that when people come to a debate, they are expecting an argument. They are expecting you to make a claim and then support that claim with evidence. And so they are prepared for that. They're wired for that. And they will hold you to that. Uh, You're a lot more uh, on the line, right, when your audience is expecting you 
to make good on your claims with evidence. Now, mm-hmm. contrast that with singing. People don't start singing songs with that expectation at all. Mm-hmm. They're not thinking, okay, now you're going to make a claim, and I need to ask myself, is this true? And mm-hmm. if so, why do I believe it? What's the mm-hmm. evidence for it? No, you just kind of dive in and off you mm-hmm. go. And that's how it can um, circumvent the process of reflection and consideration about the truth of these things. And he knows that. And then he says, God's anointing may be on a song, and when that's, when that's the case, then people will begin to believe things they wouldn't believe through teaching. Wow. Oh, yeah. And you think, wow, so you're going to give God the credit or, or the blame <laughs> for bringing you along into belief, bypassing your critical, uh, rational critical capacities well emotion often does that we get driven by emotion and feelings and we get so sucked into uh worship music sometimes if the beat's good if the sound is good if the band is hot if the light shows just right you know what i mean we are just falling for entertainment oftentimes at especially some of the larger churches that can put on a show on sunday morning but i digress you wanted to ask a follow-up question yeah um you know the older hymns have doctrine in you know that you can look yes. up in your bible and you can say is this hymn or this song you can actually look it up which people don't do anymore but if there are a lot of young worship leaders um who may not be rooted and grounded in the faith there are pastors who maybe aren't overseeing the worship selection or yes. or handpicking the worship leader based on you know maturity in the lord what would be do you have some advice to these young worship leaders because i i think with a lack of biblical knowledge in general in the church today, how in the world can we combat or come against this and, and at least equip these young worship leaders to yes. know what they're doing on a doctrinal level? Yeah, Holly, how about some advice for young worship leaders and even pastors to be a little bit more discerning about the worship? Yeah, well, I would say that, um, you know, um, worship leaders sh- uh, should should seek training, I mean, especially like worship pastors on staff, um, you know, uh, seminary training or getting theological training is um, very important. I think um, sometimes churches, um, they they don't give the thought maybe to um, their, their worship pastors and the requirements for hiring worship pastors that they would to other types of pastors. And so because of that, the pastors can um, sometimes lack theological training, um, which is so important in, in their pastoral role. Um, and so, but just, um, just being very thoughtful about the music they choose, any worship leader, and not, not just choosing what happens to be trending on, on Christian radio or, you know, the streaming services, um, whatever's just popular right now, but really giving attention to the lyrics and the and the soundness and um, and there are conferences. Uh, you know, Doug and I uh, attended the Sing conference in Nashville mm. uh, a few months ago, and they I I believe that's an annual conference and it's it's organized by the Gettys yes. and and that was just this amazing. Um, uh, they they had an amazing uh, you know huge selection of speakers that were doing breakout sessions and teaching on topics related to a theology of worship, and um, so to pursue those kind of things and, and take advantage of them um, to really develop a sound theology of worship, I think is very important. So we're speaking with Holly Pivick and Doug Guyvet, and the book is called Counterfeit Kingdom. Um, Doug, I'll direct this one to you. Um, I think it was 2014, your previous book that you co-authored, mm-hmm. uh, A New Apostolic Reformation, A Biblical Response to a Worldwide Movement. And now, by the way, congratulations, you guys. This one is currently number one in, on Amazon in uh, Christian Apologetics. Why? What made you decide to follow up, basically, that the way I'm looking at it? I, it could be uh, looked at differently, but you've, basically there's a lot more information that you guys wanted to communicate about the NAR. So why did you write this next book, and who's your primary audience? Yeah, thank you for that. Well, <clears throat> that's right. In the first book, A New Apostolic Reformation, it's got a big question mark at the end there, mm-hmm. and we offer a biblical response to that. We go through a description of the movement and its theology, and we evaluate its claims about apostleship, prophecy, and how do you, you know, recognize an individual who is a prophet and who is not. Uh, We do more of a theological 
uh, analysis of major themes in the movement. Hmm. Uh, in this book, Counterfeit Kingdom, we wanted to talk about practices that go on within the movement, and then you have to talk about very uh, specific examples of organizations, church leaders, that are uh, promoting these practices in their own churches. And uh, the most prominent ex- ex- example of this, the, the you might say the one that is most has been most successful in disseminating the teachings and the practices of this movement, is probably Bethel Church in Redding, California. Mm. Uh, they're known globally and not just locally uh, for their music and for their teaching. Their teaching staff, including Bill Johnson, travel widely internationally. And, uh, of course, through social media, it's very easy to get your message out. And so what we wanted to do is we wanted to focus on practices and especially on a a prominent um, example of a church or a ministry, an organization that uh, teaches these things. And so Bethel Church has a church. They have a production company, a music production company. They have a school called BSSM, is Bethel School of Supernatural Ministries, where yeah. you can come there and, and you can live in residence and uh, learn to be activated in the miraculous and the prophetic. And people are doing that. They're coming from all over the wow. world. So this time around, our hmm. focus was on a concrete example that's having a global influence in the world uh, through these practices. Mm. Um. Holly, I just want to follow up on that and, and ask. We 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 are so influenced by music, and Bethel is huge when it comes to uh, worship. Um, what other guidelines would you just speak to the average Christian that's listening right now that might really enjoy this music? And uh, here we are, we're talking about some background and some very problematic. Um, information from a, from a biblical standpoint as far as why this movement and what they're teaching is not biblical. What other cautions? In fact, I think you've got a chapter, uh, Jesus Overlooked Warning. Um, so tell us a little bit about, a little bit more about that, why we should be warned about this to be even more discerning. Right. Well, so, so Jesus overlooked warning is, uh, we, we have a chapter about, uh, his warning, his words in Matthew, uh, seven, I believe it is to beware of false prophets and that, that these false prophets will be wolves, but will come to you in sheep's clothing. And there are many other warnings throughout scripture, um, in the Old Testament and the New Testament warnings about false teaching, um, false prophets, false apostles. And, and just the really, um, the reality of their presence. Um, and, and especially Jesus talks in Matthew 24, uh, we see his words about, um, as the, as the, in, you know, in times start to unfold, we'll start to see even a proliferation of, of false prophets rising up. And, and so we do know that, um, that these are warnings we need to take very seriously. And, um, and so in our book, we really just encourage people in all areas, in music, um, in curriculum that's being used in, in maybe in children's classes or, or even adult classes at church and books that are being read, um, and, and all of these things just to, um, be, just to be really evaluating what is being taught and, and not just to, to take whatever's being handed, um, to you, you know, by a church leader, but to really make sure that you are evaluating all things on the basis of scripture and careful reasoning and, and seeing that all these teachings uh, are, or lyrics and songs or, or what have you line up with scripture. Thank you, Holly. And by the way, we've got to take our first break already, friends. And when we come back, we'll talk more with Holly Pivick and Doug Guyvett. And the book is called Counterfeit Kingdom. And uh, so much more, the, the chapter contents and the, the table of contents Just some of the chapters are so provocative. Just looking at the titles, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But we need to go back to Chapter 1 and talk about a tragic event that took place, I believe, within the last year or so. More on Stand Up For The Truth in just a minute. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. 
Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. We're speaking with Holly Pivik and Doug Guyvett, the authors of, co-authors of Counterfeit Kingdom, such an important topic when you talk about the NAR, why we need to understand that, why we need to be at the, our top when it comes to discernment, testing all things. I want to go back to chapter one, you guys, very important chapter on the tragic events that took place when uh, I'll, you know, either one of you can take this, but why don't you sh- set it up? Cause some people m- might see the words wake up olive and don't know what we're talking about. So, uh, maybe, uh, Doug, why don't you start off with that? Yeah. A number of years ago, uh, members of the church, uh, t- a couple, a married couple with a small child, two years old, olive, Heiligenthal, uh, lost their daughter, uh, unexpectedly. She died and in their home and, um, Kaylee, the mother, wanted to uh, believe God for a resurrection for their daughter. And the church went along with that. Now, which church? They, this is Bethel Church okay. in Reading. Uh-huh. And uh, so they began making prayer declarations that Olive would be raised from the dead. <clears throat> now, these are declarations of something that is going to happen. Mm. It's prophetic in nature. And it's a form of prayer in this uh, new apostolic movement. And so uh, the church leadership began to uh, make these declarations that Olive would be raised from the dead. It went viral uh, in social media. People from around the world were chiming in and declaring the same. And the expectation was that Olive would be raised and that this would happen as a consequence or as a result of making these declarations and doing it with faith and boldness and not as a matter of petition where you pray and ask God for something that's the desire of your heart and then humbly submit that to the outworking of his sovereign will. Uh, This was presuming to know that this was God's intention. Mm. And then they were, the way I describe it is, is it's as if they're they're leveraging, leveraging the power of God by consolidating their efforts and sharing in this practice. So it's as if even having more people participate increases the likelihood that it will come about. But there shouldn't be any question about likelihood anyway, because it is this expectation. You're declaring that it will be so. That's right. And this went on for several days, and, uh, and Olive was not revived. And finally, after six days, uh, they realized it wasn't going to happen, and they began planning for a funeral. Hmm. Holly, would you like to add yeah, to that? One, yeah, one thing. So after this happened, there was a press release uh, sent out by Bethel because the you know, the national media had been following the story. Yeah. And um, in the press release, they said, um, as a church, we have been continuing for singing about and witnessing God's power to save and heal for over 50 years. It is normal for us to ask trust him and then glorify his name regardless of the outcome. What I wanted to point out there is they said it's normal for us to ask and the implication is that they were that they were just asking God like petitionary prayer for for a miracle and who could who could question that, you know, as a Christian that we ask God to do something. But this this isn't uh, the case. What what happened there was they were making prayer declarations. Yes, and they were they were using that the, that term specifically, and also you know holding these services where they were dancing and singing and making these declarations and yeah. and so declarations are very different, as Doug pointed out, from petitionary prayer, where you humbly ask God to do something, and that's very explicit in their own teaching. They're very explicit. Bill Johnson's very explicit that there's a difference between asking God to do something a petitionary prayer and declaring mm-hmm. with his authority that it will happen. And so what I wanted to point out is in the leaders in this movement will often equivocate on terms like the term prayer, where they give it different meaning mm. than other mainstream Christians have or that Christians have had through history. And that's how some people can be drawn into this movement, because they don't realize that, that, that there's these uh, changes on the meaning of words like prayer. And um, so this is a misrepresentation in the media yes. of what they were actually doing after the the facts to make it maybe sound, it has the effect of making it sound like, you know, we're not that far out there. But it wasn't an, a representation of what was actually occurring. 
I want you know I want to talk briefly about um, the damage that these movements do in people's lives. And I, I we had talked um, you know in between here about the Kansas City prophets, and I know for a fact that the false prophets prophecies that they made over people's lives caused people to make life-changing decisions mm. uh, while these people were practicing to be prophets. So you know about money and marriage and their future. And a lot of people went into counseling for a long time. And I guess I'm, you know, because I think Kansas City was like a precursor to the NAR. Um, and now this supernatural school, are they teaching people how to be prophets? You know, I mean, gifts notwithstanding, of course. They're teaching people how to uh, prophesy over people. And this story about Olive sort of, uh, you know, reminds me of sort of a Pandora's box of how the damage can be done to people's lives, and they don't seem to care about that. What kind of things do they teach at this school that that really um, are end up to be a bit of a train wreck in people's lives, but no one is counting the statistics of who is ruined by these things? Well, so Bethel School Supernatural Ministry is a three-year program, so students can go up for up to three years full-time, and they can attend on campus or online now. And and I wanted to point out that schools of supernatural ministry patterned after Bethel, in many cases using curriculum sold by Bethel, have started up in churches throughout the nation mm-hmm. and even ar- around the world. So the school of supernatural ministry uh, thing is, you know, becoming very popular for churches and what what people go to these schools essentially to learn to become miracle workers and and what they what they, uh one thing they do at these schools is they activate uh seek to activate uh miraculous gifts in the students and so it's believed that every christian has like these latent um miraculous or supernatural abilities uh, that just need to be activated in them. So the ability to prophesy, for example, or to work miracles of healing is something that every believer can do if they participate in prophetic activation exercises um, where where it can like draw out their ability to, to exercise these, these powers. And this is very different than teaching uh, about miraculous gifts from Pentecostals or Charismatics or, or teaching about spiritual gifts in general. Um, and, and scripture is clear that, that the Holy Spirit is the one who gives spiritual gifts. Um, and we know that there's miraculous gifts like speaking in tongues, prophesying, but, and then there's also gifts like serving, a gift of encouragement, teach, teaching these different kinds of gifts as well. Um, but the Holy Spirit is the one who gives those gifts to individuals, um, as, as he alone determines, and they're not gifts that can be activated in any person who desires them. And so mm-hmm. an example of one prophetic activation exercise that, that Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry has promoted is having students, um, taking two students and blindfolding them and having them stand back to back, and they don't know who's behind them. And um, and so they they are told to just say whatever pops into their head is a prophetic message for the person behind them. And they don't, they don't know who that is. Um, So, so that's an example of what a prophetic activation exercise can look like. But the idea is just teaching people to, to just feel comfortable seeing whatever pops into their head as, as a prophetic message and not to worry if you get it wrong or you make mistakes. It's okay if you miss it. Um, because you're practicing and you're going to make mistakes. And, and of course, this is, is very different than what the Bible teaches about testing all prophecies. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, we know from Deuteronomy that if a prophet makes a mistake in prophesying, then they, they're not a genuine prophet. They weren't sent by God. And so, so these are very different teachings. Boy, the more we talk about this, Heidi and uh, Doug, I understand why God put it on your heart to write this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, counterfeit kingdom because we're talking about people that have been damaged or hurt by these teachings and what, just that when I, I looked at Mary when you said they are activating their spiritual gifts as if we have power to activate something and it's not a gift from God right so uh, but I want to ask you to follow up on failed prophecies uh, f- false prophets failed predictions even in recent uh, years what can you tell us about that there were the prophecies that uh, President Trump would be reelected to a second term in office in 2020, and there were dozens of prophets in the NAR who um, who made 
made the prediction that Donald Trump would win that second consecutive term. And, um, and when that didn't happen, um, a few prophets issued apologies, uh, not all of them. And they said, you know, Chris Fellison, he's the most uh, influential prophet over at Bethel, uh, Bethel Church working with Bill Johnson. And he said he missed it, but he also said that doesn't make him a false prophet. And that's a common teaching in, in this movement is that genuine prophets of God can make mistakes when they prophesy, and that doesn't disqualify them from being a prophet. And, and so um, that's an example of, um, of one of the failed predictions. Well, where is that biblical? I mean, and, and are we, when you say prophet, are we, are we putting these words in quotes, prophet or apostle? You know what I mean? Right. Well, so, and, and, you know, this is this distinction between an office having like the office of prophet and the gift of prophecy. Um, and, but they would say that, so, so many, um, charismatics would say that they believe someone can have a spiritual gift of prophesying and make mistakes when they prophesy. Um, I don't hold that view. Um, but, but, at least these people would say that um, these these prophet these people that have the gift of prophecy they're not prophesying authoritatively they're not but it's very different in the NAR what they're saying is these people are prophesying authoritatively they hold this formal governing office in church government people need to take their words very seriously um, but at the same time they can make mistakes when they prophesy so what do you do with that what is how can we ever trust the words of these prophets when when they even acknowledge that they make mistakes when they prophesy but the next time they prophesy we're expected to take their words seriously um that you know it doesn't that doesn't make sense um yeah what a mess um i have a question about you know that we're living in such dark times and um people some people feel there's going to be a revival some people just feel it's going to get darker and darker my concern with nar and the way you're talking about how it's just spreading all over the world are are they um is one of their goals to um, bring about or fabricate a revival and how would how would people know true revival versus an NAR influenced or NAR engine in a revival i mean mm. there's the potential for deception there on the global scene is pretty pretty big right and so many prophets in the NAR have prophesied that there will be this great end time harvest um they refer it some, sometimes to it as the billion full harvest because they believe that a billion people will be brought in, you know, will convert to belief in Christ and really under the leadership of the apostles and prophets in this movement. And that what will happen is there will, there will, the apostles and prophets will work these amazing miracles, even more amazing than the miracles Jesus worked allegedly. And so that stadiums, football stadiums will be filled uh, with, people being healed and these amazing miracles occurring and being uh, and and that news uh like news stations will broadcast these miracles worldwide and this is what will cause you know a billion people to convert to belief in Christ and this will all happen under the leadership of the apostles and the prophets who are seeking uh to lead the church and bringing God's physical kingdom to earth um, under their leadership and, mm-hmm. and with their strategies and through the miraculous powers that, that they're saying that all Christians can develop. Um, and so we talk, we have a whole chapter about counterfeit revival yes. and really explaining to people that the, this is, NAR revival is very different than what you would typically think of, Christians would think of when they think of revival. Um, you know, when I grew up, our church would have a tent, an annual tent revival uh, meeting outdoors, and they would bring in a, an evangelist who would preach the gospel and the word of God, and people would, you know, get saved or rededicate their life to Christ. That's very different. Um, the Billy Graham Crusade seems like those are even the historic revivals you would think of, like uh, the Awakenings and American history. Those are very different. And our revival, um, this the emphasis is on raising up Christians to take dominion yes, and to yes. do so through these signs and wonders and and through the new revelations that they're giving, and so um, and so at, at these NAR revival events, uh, there'll often be talk about things like encountering angels, um, the leaders claiming to encounter angels. There, and, and in this movement, there's a lot of teaching and courses and books 
out there designed to help people learn how to encounter angels or, you know, there's a really heavy emphasis in these NAR revival events on the ministry time. So the focus isn't, people don't get so excited about the teaching of the word of God. The focus is really on the ministry time at the end of a, a service when, when people um, come forward and hope that the apostle or prophet will lay their hands on them and, and maybe impart miraculous gifts to them or, or that they'll experience healing or they'll receive a prophetic word from the apostle or prophet. Um, there's fire tunnels at these, at these events where, where you'll have leaders uh, kind of stand up with their hands and form a tunnel uh, two lines and put their hands over each other, uh, join hands and form a tunnel. And people at these revival events can run through the tunnel where they, and they supposedly have these deep encounter, powerful encounters with the Holy Spirit when they run through the tunnel. And, and these times are often very chaotic. You can go on, you know, on YouTube and Google or, or search, um, fire tunnels and Bethel church and, and see what those look like. And so, so NAR revival looks very different than, than what other Christians think of. And so it's very important for, for churches when they're asked to partner in a revival event in their community um, to be, to check out who the leadership is and the churches are who are organizing yes. that. Because in many cases it is NAR churches organizing these, these prayer and fasting rallies and these yep. revival events and, and other churches are not aware and they could unwittingly, find themselves uh, partnering with these NAR revival efforts. We've got to take another break already. We're speaking with Holly Pivik and Doug Guyvitt about the brand new book, Counterfeit Kingdom, The Dangers of New Revelation, New Prophets, and New Age Practices in the Church. And one of the things they say in Counterfeit Kingdom in that chapter on counterfeit revival is biblical revival is measured in terms of obedience and holiness. So there are things that we can watch for. And yes, we do see a lot of these worship events and revival events, so-called, going on. Uh, we've got to be discerning, friends. That's one of the takeaways from today. More with Holly and Doug when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Keep it right here. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Along with Mary Danielson, my co-host, and we've got Holly Pivik and Doug Guyvett on the line. Doug from Southern California, Holly from Fairbanks, Alaska. Now, I want to emphasize something that you guys pointed out um, early in the book, that when, when you guys refer to teachings of NAR leaders in the book, you don't imply that every uh, leader or teacher uh, in the movement holds to the same exact beliefs that we are pointing to and exposing today as bad theology or unbiblical practices. So we just want to make that point. But I want to go to follow up on uh, taking dominion. Uh, Matthew 6.10, of course, and uh, Jesus says, Your kingdom come, your will be done. What does that mean to ask God, Father in heaven, your kingdom come. And Doug, how does it contrast with the concept of Christians being influential in our communities as maybe salt and light, those ideas? Yeah. Well, they're talking about uh, bringing heaven to earth uh, and seeing in the Lord's Prayer, for example, evidence that we're to do that. We're to pray that God's kingdom will come and it will be manifest on the earth um, as it is in heaven. And in heaven, there is no sickness, there's no illness. Uh, you know, things are, there's perfection in the world. Mm-hmm. And this is what it will mean for heaven to come down to earth through uh, their ministry uh, in the prophetic and the miraculous. So <clears throat> dominion will happen when, uh, I'm going to let Holly speak of the Seven Mountain Mandate, because that's certainly Great. connected. Yes. But this is a separate point, uh, it's just the general concept that by bringing heaven to earth, you're going to realize this uh, glorious condition where there'll be great prosperity and, uh, and healing, and people will not be sick, because that's how it is in heaven. And so they're thinking, you know, when we say, as we do when we, when we repeat the Lord's Prayer, you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Mm-hmm. They're literally expecting that what it's like in heaven will come down and be reflected in how things are on the earth. Mm. Holly? 
Right. And, and they also, and they, and they, on top of that, they would say that the prayer modeled in the Lord's Prayer, the type of prayer are his prayer declaration. Uh, and so, um, they would say it, it provides a model of making prayer declarations for bringing God's kingdom to earth. And so the seven mountain mandate is a strategy that, that NAR prophets, uh, say they have received, uh, for God's kingdom, uh, for the church to bring God's kingdom to earth. And the way they would say that the church must do that is by taking uh, control of the seven major societal institutions. So education, religion, family, business, government, arts and entertainment, and then media. And that really apostles should rise to the top of those institutions. They're alone the ones that have the authority Hmm. uh, to cast out the high-ranking demonic territorial spirits that are believed to rule over those institutions. Um, and then through those institutions and God's kingdom can be brought to earth. But the thing is, they find, they find support for the seven mountain mandate in, um, even though it's this new revelation through a couple passages in the Old Testament. So Isaiah 2 2 talks about in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. Mm-hmm. It will be exalted above the hills and all nations will stream to it. And so, they would say that that they've received prophetic illumination really into the scripture that what that's talking about is the seven mountain mandate, even though there's no hint of the seven mountain mandate in that passage. <laughs> um, or they'll also say that that um, when Israel was supposed to drive out uh, seven kingdoms before it possessed the promised land in Deuteronomy seven one, that that's that's uh, also you know they have prophetic illumination that 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 applies to today and that's that's a you know support for the seven mountain mandate and so in this movement what what leaders will often say is that they receive prophetic illumination in the passages of scripture and they receive insights that no one has ever seen before new understandings of scripture and the seven mountain mandate is one example of that mm-hmm. yeah um very interesting again all of this is so very interesting i want to talk a little bit about the new age teachings because it's not just um, spiritual gifts and abuse of spiritual gifts and that sort of thing. But there's a book in the bookstore at Bethel called The Physics of Heaven, uh, written by Bill Johnson and Chris Vallotton. Uh, and uh, supposedly they believe that there are things, um, quote-unquote, truths in the New Age that Christians are supposed to appropriate and extract and, and repackage. Hmm. And it talks about trances, meditations, auras, levitation, teleportation, psychic fairs, I mean, now we're getting into the occult period. That sounds like and Harry Potter. It does, and it's for a generation that yes. you know was into the Hogwarts school of interest, whatever. And so now we have a whole generation that thinks that Harry Potter is real and all this. So how does this occultism, um, besides just the bad teaching at NAR, now we have occultism? Could you just address a little bit about um, occultism through NAR? Yeah. Well, uh, first, one thing I want to clarify is so. Uh, Bill Johnson and Chris Velton, um, they they contributed to the book. Okay. It was actually put together by uh, the book was was it's it's a compilation of chapters that that someone else put together. And Bill Johnson contributed a chapter. Benny okay. Johnson and Chris Velton contributed the forward, um, I believe, and so uh, and a number of others contributed chapters as well. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, so. Uh, as you said, that in in that book it says that the New Agers uh, basically stole practices from Christians that need to be redeemed and reclaimed for the church, and and these are like practices that the first century of the church allegedly had and that that were lost and are now being restored. And um, so we talked about we talked already about prophetic activation exercises and the way people are activated in um, the prophetic and how that really bears more similarities to occultic practices, uh, uh, like psychic powers, um, than it does to anything about spiritual gifts. And, and so in that chapter, we talk about how at Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry, students will will essentially disguise themselves as psychics. They'll go to psychic fairs and um, where they give what they call spirit readings. Um, and they'll avoid using terminology like God or Jesus or the Holy Spirit because they don't want to say anything that sound, would sound offensive to the people at these psychic fairs, and instead they'll use terms for God, like they'll refer to him as the spirit of creation. And um, and so we, we talk about uh, just how in avoiding to use, you know, G- the name of Jesus, for example, 
how can this really be evangelism? They'll say that this is a creative form form of evangelism for reaching New Agers with the gospel, but the question is, you know, is the gospel being presented? Mm. And so, and at these psychic fairs, uh, sometimes Bethel students have teamed up with an organization called Christ Alignment, where they've uh, read, they've given readings of destiny cards, and destiny cards are essentially Christianized. Uh, tarot cards, and they, they were even described by Christ Alignment uh, as being having similarities to tarot cards on their website before um, before it came to people's concern that that Bethel students were doing this and participating in this practice, and then the references were removed uh, from the Christ Alignment website uh, that compared these cards to tarot cards. Mm. But um, and but um, it's it, it's. Um, but they were they were using these cards essentially as tarot cards to um, to even in some cases uh, predict the future uh, what would happen in the future um, for people. So so these are some of the types of practices we talk about. We talk about a lot more in our chapter on the New Age and NAR. Wow, so much in the book Counterfeit Kingdom, and I want to go back to Doug uh, Doug Guyvet. Will you please? clarify something. Um, many of us have been trying to wake up the church for many years. Uh, and what I mean by that is we have lost influence. If you look at every major poll from Barna to Lifeway to Pew to Gallup, all the research says that there's such a limited biblical worldview compared to what it used to be. Uh, less people are believing in God, uh, church attendance, everything else. But our biblical worldview is what is concerning. And the fact that too many people are now keeping their faith to themselves, meaning maybe we just go to church on Sundays, and we don't share the gospel. We don't impact our culture, and that's why it has been taken over by you know demonic forces, you might say, uh, the left, those who hate God. And uh, I just want you to clarify what they are promoting in the NAR is this dominionism. I don't like the language, we're going to take back whatever it might be, um, first of all, I think these systems or institutions are beyond reform, almost every one of them. When you talk about the media, the education system, mm-hmm. uh, entertainment, Hollywood, even our government. Now, we need Christian leaders. We need people in these institutions, but to take them back, that's what I think where the NIR crosses the line. Can you give us your thoughts on that, Doug? Yeah, well, for sure. We're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world, <clears throat> to be salt and light in the world and to make a difference uh, in whatever way we can, and that includes sharing the gospel and calling people to repentance and to a life of discipleship with Jesus Christ. For sure, that's fundamental, that's most basic, and we can never let go of that, because everything else depends on that. But beyond that, of course, then, the people of God can also influence culture in other ways. We have great privileges in this country, a free country, a democracy, where we can participate with our vote and um even, you know, get involved in the political process uh, by getting elected ourselves, if we will. And, uh, and then we always operate from a biblical worldview as Christian people uh, attempting to uh, remedy the ills of society. But we don't do it expecting that we're going to be successful in bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth hmm. and uh, eventually seeing God's rule uh, happen in this fashion. But uh, that is the expectation in, in the NAR movement, and that it's going to be, you know, revival is indicated by the miraculous and the prophetic. But we're warned that there will be false prophets who will perform signs and wonders, and they'll wow people. And Jesus says in John 24, or not John 24, Matthew 24, verse 24, that, uh, that, that it'll be so compelling that it, it, it will be difficult even for the elect, the saints of God, to discern and not fall for it. Hmm. And so, you know, we're looking for this as a sign of the times. And if, if we're going to be looking for that as a sign of the times, where else are we going to see it uh, unless we are seen among people who claim to be prophets and to be working these signs and wonders? So then we need... If we see that happening, we need to scrutinize it and evaluate it and see if it's legitimate. Do these people who purport to be prophets provide good evidence that they are? What is their track record when they predict the future? Are they successful? Do they get things wrong and then claim to be legitimate prophets despite their failed attempts? 
Um, th- these are, you know, red flags, to say the very least. Mm-hmm. So, yes, we uh, preach the gospel. We, we want to educate ourselves in the Word and, and become saturated with the knowledge of the Word of God. You know, Jesus said that sanctification happens through a knowledge of the truth. In John 17, Amen. Uh, verse 17, he's basically he's praying to the Father, and he says, on behalf of his disciples, Lord, sanctify, Father, sanctify these men in the truth. And then he says, your word is truth. Amen. So we are word of truth oriented, not word of faith oriented. Amen. Uh, you know, we want to say that the faith is something you have as a response to a knowledge of the truth. It's not faith in faith itself. It's not faith without an object, and it's not faith mm-hmm. without grounding. Mm-hmm. And so, <clears throat> yes, that's how transformation takes place: mm-hmm. is through a knowledge of the truth. And that is retained in scriptures. One of the things I'll point out is that uh, a, a test of someone who claims to be a prophet is whether or not they are responsible in their handling of the Word of God that we all have access to. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> if you've got a, an alleged prophet who is misinterpreting scripture on a regular basis and teaches the Word, but says, now you misunderstand what it means here, or there's another layer of meaning here that I have access to through prophetic illumination because the Spirit of God breathed on these words while I was reading them. This is this is the mm. way they speak. Wow. Um, that's just not the way to teach the Word of God. And that is evidence that when they purport to reveal other truths beyond what the Bible says, they're just not to be trusted because they can't even read the Bible mm-hmm. accurately and responsibly yes. when they're doing that. So, Doug, uh, we got to wrap it up. Holly, just uh, your your final thought briefly because we're at we're at the end of the podcast already. Yeah, I just really encourage people um, if if to go look at our book and our previous books. If there was a question they have that wasn't answered today, um, if, if you know passages of scripture that we may have not addressed today. Um, there's, there's a lot more in our books and there's a, a good chance that we've addressed those questions there. Yes. So hollypivic.com, they can contact you through there. And also the book, friends, it's called Counterfeit Kingdom. Doug Guyvett, Holly Pivic, thank you so much. It went by way too fast. God bless you both and have a nice Thanksgiving. Thank you, David. Thank you so much, both of you too, David and Mary. Yeah. Thank All right. you. Thank you guys. What that was, that was great. Um, tomorrow guys, you will hear Gary Ka. On the podcast, we will not have a podcast on Thanksgiving and Cheryl Chumley Friday. God bless you, and as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.